Welcome to Sharkpedia, where your hosts, Megan and Amani, a couple of shark researchers that want to bring the science to you. We're creating a space to learn all things sharks and their relatives, answer your questions, and learn from the legends in the field. Get ready to jump in. Let's dive deep into the world of sharks. Welcome, Sharkies, to our first ever episode of Sharkpedia. We're so excited to have you here with us. Um, my name's Megan, and I am a, I think we'll just start out by kind of telling you who we are and, and why we're even here doing this podcast. Um, so I am a first year PhD student at UC Davis studying shark ecology. I specifically am studying the seven gill shark, and if you don't know the seven gill shark, I hope to very much change that. They're absolutely one of the coolest sharks, in my opinion. Um, cute. They're, an, <laughs> they're very cute. They're very cute. They look like little Dalmatian puppies. Um, but you can find them almost anywhere in the world. And But you can only find the pups and the juveniles and the sub-adults uh, readily in one location in the world, and that's San Francisco Bay. So that's where I'm studying them, and I am studying a lot about what allows them to survive and thrive till they can get to that sexually mature adult and reproduce and, and provide more animals back into the population. And I do that at my host aquarium institution. I also am a full-time biologist that works at a public aquarium where I care for these animals every day as part of my job. And then I'm studying them in the aquarium and also studying them in the wild habitat. Um, so yeah, I, I am a PhD student and I also work full time as a biologist. So you'll probably hear lots about that. But this podcast is definitely to focus on the sharks themselves. Uh, and actually working at the aquarium is how I met Amani. Amani, do you want to kind of share your side of the story there? Yes. Hello, sharkies. I am so excited to be able to share the world of sharks with you all and also help improve my own understanding um, of shark research and all the new papers that are coming out. So I actually met Megan when I volunteered the summer after my freshman year at the aquarium where she's a biologist. Um, I basically emailed them and said, hi, I'm going to be home for the summer. I need something to do. I'd love if it had to do with my major. And they said, sure, come out and volunteer with us. So I got to volunteer with Megan and she was amazing. And then we kind of lost contact and then randomly found each other on Twitter last year. Science and since Twitter then, has changed my life. <laughs> yes, I, yes, shortcut. Everyone should join Science Twitter. Um, and yeah, we reconnected and here we are making a podcast that we're both super psyched about. So a little bit about me. I graduated from Rutgers in New Jersey last year with a Bachelor's of Science in Marine Science and a minor in Fishery Science. During my undergrad, I worked in a paleoceanography lab. For those of you who don't know, paleoceanography is the scientific study of life of the geologic past that involves the analysis of plant and animal fossils. So I really liked working in that lab, but something I realized was it wasn't what I wanted to do with my life. And so I kind of set out trying to figure out where and what section of marine science I'd fall into and what section I would really like to spend my life as a career doing. Starting towards the end of my junior year and the summer right before senior year, I started working in a locomotion and biomechanics lab where I created 3D models of remoras 
which are the fish that we often see sticking to sharks um, in photos and in films. And I really loved doing that. I loved creating 3D models and I loved discovering new things about this fish that I didn't even really know that much about. So I also participated in shark research at field school in Miami, which was my first introduction to actual shark research, right? So I'd worked with remoras um, creating 3D models and I've worked with their CT scans, but I hadn't actually worked with a physical shark before. And so I was super excited about attending this intro to shark research course where I could basically figure out if shark research was something that I was interested in. So I went out on their course and basically fell in love with boats, field work, and sharks. That experience is pretty much the whole reason I am where I am today, which is a prospective graduate student who will be starting a PhD program in fall 2021, hopefully studying morphology of sharks, so studying the form and function of their body and how it influences their life. I'm super interested in shark skin. The scientific term for shark skin is dermal denticles. I'll say it again, dermal denticles, which is a super weird word and sounds super nerdy, but shark skin is super cool. And so I'm hoping that during my PhD, I can look at shark skin and how it influences sharks and interacts with their environment. I'm also a co-founder and the chief financial officer of a soon-to-be nonprofit called Minorities in Shark Sciences, which is geared towards creating a welcoming space for women of color in shark sciences and also knocking down financial barriers into shark science for them as well. Yeah, that was really great. And I think, you know, the reason we're doing this podcast, like we both said, we're both pretty early career here. We're both either a prospective students or I'm a first year PhD student. So while we're learning all about sharks and their relatives, we're hopefully going to share that learning experience with you guys while also interpreting some of the science for you. So one of the things that we are feel like is really missing in the podcast world especially is really breaking down shark science. A lot of times I am looking for other shark scientists podcasts so that I can listen to them, but I'm jumping around to all these different podcasts to find them. Uh, so we wanted to create a space where all of those awesome shark researchers are on one platform. And we're also going to break down the actual science literature. So hopefully we're going to be picking a paper each week that's new and up and coming, really cool shark science. We're going to read those and then interpret them for you. So ideally, we'll uh, tell you the, the paper ahead of time. Is that right, Amani? Yes, we're hoping to be able to tell you the paper ahead of time. Um, have the author of the paper come on and talk about it with us. Because one of the things um, for Megan and I is that this will also benefit both of us because even if you're a scientist, scientific papers can be very hard to read yep. and very hard to understand and then come up with your questions and analyze them. And so we're hoping that on top of helping ourselves become better at reading papers, better at analyzing scientific papers, we can also help you all who maybe don't even know anything about shark science and want to know more, but it's so hard to understand scientific papers. Yeah, I absolutely agree with that. And the only thing I'll add is that, you know, one thing that I think we want to help break down some of the misconceptions that evolve that revolve around shark science, one being that sharks are like these really nasty predators. They are predators. Some of them are predators, but actually not all of them are those top apex predators. So we want to kind of break down the misconception about sharks so that you can really love sharks in the way that we see them and love them. And hopefully through this podcast, you'll also learn that we need sharks. We desperately need sharks in the environment. And we also kind of want to show you guys who shark scientists actually are. Um, if you are a fan of Shark Week, like both Amani and I are, you'll know that 
there is pretty much one demographic that is represented on Shark Week, and that's not actually representative of who the shark scientists actually are out there. There are a lot of us out here. We're diverse. We have a lot of different perspectives, and I definitely hope that you can see and learn about all the diverse perspectives that are in the shark field that you don't necessarily see on TV. Yep, and there's also so many paths that you can take in shark science that you don't see on TV. A lot of times when you watch Shark Week or any of those documentaries, a lot of them will have to do with things like movement ecology um, or what the sharks eat. But there's so many other parts of shark science that are not in documentaries or popularized by the media that are awesome and always coming out with super cool papers and even cooler facts. And so we're hoping that we can sort of bring those more to light and share some really awesome facts with you guys that you might not get anywhere else. Should we share a couple of really cool facts just to get them yes, excited? Yes, I definitely think we should share some cool facts. <laughs> like, did you know that sharks can glow in the dark? Some of them can. Yeah, which is kind of crazy because I'm pretty sure the only glow-in-the-dark things that I ever had as a kid were those stars that you can put on your ceiling oh that, like, gosh, collect yeah. the light, and then when you look up at them <laughs> at night, there's all the little green stars. And I personally would love to have, like, a glow-in-the-dark shark as that instead of... Stars. I think that's a brilliant idea. <laughs> that should just be, we'll just make an, another side gig of glow-in-the-dark shark pieces. Yes, we will produce glow-in-the-dark sharks that <laughs> little kids can have at their as their little nightlight. <laughs> what are some um, other facts that you can think of, money that gets okay. you excited? This one I love and just came out like this year. Whale sharks have teeth on their eyes. On so their they have, eyeballs. Yes, they have a layer of dermal denticles, which is the scientific term for shark skin. Um and it goes over their eyeballs. And I just think it is crazy to have sharp, pointy teeth on your eyes. Yeah. Because can you imagine blinking? <laughs> it's, it is, yeah, that is just so bizarre. And did you know that sharks jump out of water? They breach just like whales do. And we're definitely going to talk about that and hopefully have some guest speakers on that study some of that behavior so that we can try to interpret why a shark would do that. I want to. Sh- I have. Have you ever seen a shark jump out of the water, Amani? No, I haven't. I, I haven't either, and I really want to. There are multiple species that do it regularly in the San Francisco Bay Area. There's a thresher shark, and thresher sharks are constantly jumping out of the water. And I have some friends that have worked on the whale watching tour boats in San Francisco Bay, and they'll talk about how often they see thresher sharks. I still have not seen one jump out of the water. It is a bucket list item of, for me. I, I just I I'm gotta. salty. I lived there for 22 years and never got to see a thresher shark breach in the bay. That's well, ridiculous. They don't actually come into the bay though. They they're th- they're jumping like right outside the gate. The gate okay. is what we call San Francisco Golden Gate Bridge. We call it the gate. And so as soon as your boat is out of the gate, that's where you start seeing thresher sharks jump. Which fun fact, a lot of sharks don't like to come into San Francisco Bay because it's actually an estuary which we'll talk about in a later episode. But basically, there is a lot of fresh water coming into that area. So a lot of sharks and fish don't like to come into the bay because it's just too much fresh water. But my animal, the seven-gill shark, doesn't mind some of that fresh water, and they're able to come in. So it's a very, very cool thing that they're able to do, unlike some other sharks. So you got to get out of the gate, so don't be too salty. <laughs> I'll desalt myself a tiny bit. <laughs> Speaking of thresher sharks, I feel like it might be common knowledge, but we should mention that their tail is half the length of their body. 
Oh my gosh, yeah. And so like 50% of this shark is just tail. Yeah. And they look like they're shocked, like they've gotten the most surprising news of their life every single time. If you look up pictures of thresher sharks, they just look shocked. Like someone just told them they got into college or something and they didn't think they'd get in. And they are just completely flabbergasted. Yeah. Yeah. It's really true. So in addition to all the facts that we just told you guys, we're going to have plenty of more cool facts to share with you each week when we have a guest on the show. And we're going to learn some cool facts and then you're going to also learn them with us. And we are super excited to share those with you. Not only are we going to share shark facts with you, but you can actually call us and ask your questions about sharks or their relatives or the paper that we're going to feature that week. So if you have a question, you can actually call us and leave a voicemail. And if you want us to, we can actually play your question on the podcast and we'll answer that question for you. So if you want to call us and leave a voicemail with your questions about either the the paper that we're reading that week or just something that you want to know, a myth that you want us to break down and and tell you more about, uh, you can give us a call and leave a voicemail at 415-580-2777. Leave a voicemail for us. We'll definitely play it back. If you don't want your voice to be played on the podcast, no problem. You can also send in your questions. So we'll make an option for that where you can Um, email us or send us a question and we can read those on the podcast as well but we definitely want to make this an interactive space where if you have something that you want to know more about we will provide that answer for you and each week on top of all the cool things that we're already going to be bringing to you part of the thing that I'm super excited about is having our guests share field stories so we're going to ask every guest to share some funny crazy ridiculous field story that they've had because field work has a lot of different components to it and there are a lot of things that happen during field work that you are not expecting at all and we have no idea how many crazy things these field scientists have dealt with for example i was setting a gill net one time and a manatee proceeded to try to swim in that direction which resulted in me and someone else pulling the gill net up so that this manatee could get through it and not get stuck because nobody wants a manatee stuck in a gill net Oh my goodness. <laughs> That's a really good one. I've got to think of some good field stories myself. Most of them have to do with snacks, to be honest. <laughs> I mean, hey, snacks are important for field work. Boat sandwiches are next level. For some reason, sandwiches on boats just taste 80 per- to 90% better than they do oh. on land. They definitely taste better, but also, like, you've got to think about what you're doing in the field. By the way, like, Field work, if you don't know what field work is, is when you go outside of your lab space or your institution to go actually study those animals in the ocean, which we call the field, where we go collect data on whatever it is that we're studying. So a lot of times it's actually pretty messy. It's not very glorious work. Uh, it is very exciting to us. Uh, we really like it. We don't mind the the grime for sure. But a lot of times you're dealing with things like bait, slimy things, kind of bloody things as you're getting it on the hook so that you can find the sharks that you want to study. And so, yes, yeah, sandwiches are really good. I totally agree with you, Imani. But I am constantly thinking about 
what I can eat that doesn't necessarily involve my hands because I can't wash my hands very well in the field. Like I have some fresh water, I have some hand sanitizer, uh, but ideally I'm going to have some sort of barrier between my really gross hands and the food that I put in my mouth. Keyword is ideally because the ideal scenario does not always happen. Yeah, I 100% agree. It does not always happen. I also love Cheez-Its, which is like breaking all of my rule, but like extra toasty Cheez-Its are like the field snack for me. Do you have a field snack that you like, Moni? Yes, goldfish. Like original goldfish. I don't know why, but I feel like they just advertised perfectly well with like the fish and I'm in the field trying to catch fish. And oh my gosh, they're just I think it's the saltiness like you're drinking water all day because you're out on the boat and you're hot and you're tired and then you're just eating goldfish and then you're eating a sandwich for lunch with like a paper towel to hold it and it's just glorious. I think it's really funny that you mentioned that you're usually hot in the field. I can be hot, but sometimes like I am in the opposite environment. I'm often in San Francisco Bay or north, like up in Oregon or Washington, and it gets actually very cold. So I'm wearing layers and I'm wearing like Grundens, which is like rubber rain pants and rain jackets over all of my other equipment. So I'm actually like cold and wet. Although in San Francisco, it does also get very hot. So I do have those days too randomly do you have a favorite field outfit yes i mean i want pants with lots of pockets that's like a half like must i've got my extra tough rubber boots that's out also an absolute must and then i'm usually wearing my uniform up top but then i must have a baseball cap of some kind on my head and i've got the you know uh what do you call those I want to say Polaroid. Polaroid is not right. Polarized. Polarized. Polarized? (laughs) Yes. I have polarized sunglasses with like the really dweeby but amazing sunglass attachment. Yes. Strap. Listen, nothing is dweeby in the field. Whatever you need, you can wear. If you've ever leaned over the boat and seen your sunglasses go flying, yeah, a sunglasses strap is not dweeby at all. It is like an absolute must so i mean honestly really like pants with pockets and rubber boots those are the biggest things and a strap for my sunglasses like those are the absolute anytime i'm on a boat i've got to have that do you have a favorite field outfit that you have to wear yes okay so the field work that i've done has been in miami florida so it's been decently warm outside when i've done it but i have a pair of octopus leggings that have like tentacles that come up the legs from your ankles And those are my favorite pants to wear. They dry super fast, but they also keep me warm. And they also just look great, and I love them. Um, And then usually my shirt of choice is, like, some sort of, like, dry fit material where it'll dry really quickly so I don't get cold if for some reason um, it starts to get cold. Like, for example, it was pouring rain all day one of the days that we were doing um, field research. And, of course, I was freezing all day. Like, I had a sweatshirt, my rain jacket my like water shoes on and my leggings. And every time you go outside, you get wet and then you come inside and you're cold. And so you have to like think of all of these different ways to not actually freeze while you're doing field work. And it sounds miserable to anyone else, but I definitely was having the time of my life. Oh yeah, I'm absolutely having the time of my life. It doesn't matter if I'm absolutely covered in bait and whatever else, it's totally worth it. As soon as you see that animal that you're trying to study, 
you know, and you, you're up close and you're getting the samples that you need, there is absolutely no comparison to that, like, true just joy high, like, just high on the joy of doing what you absolutely love. Nothing else matters. So speaking of that, let's talk first experience with your study animal. Oh, sure. What was your reaction to first being in the vicinity of a seven gill? Yeah. Yeah, that's such a great question. So, you know, I work with them in an aquarium setting, so I see them up close a lot and I feed them and I take care of them. So I've, I've had a lot of experience acquiring those animals and, and doing physicals on them because we have to do that as part of their animal care. Just like you needing to go to the doctor, we have to go to the doctor with our animals as well. We have a veterinarian that's specialized. Uh, but seeing that animal in the field is totally different because it, it, you're just waiting to get data that you cannot get in some sort of controlled environment. You want to see that animal. You want to see it again. You want to see where they're moving. And you want to see what they're eating in their natural habitat. Um, so actually, when I first started data collecting for my what is now going to be my PhD dissertation, I actually had months of just getting skunked. Like, couldn't find them weren't getting them in our usual spots where we would normally find them. And it was really discouraging. And that happens with a lot of shark scientists. You can be going out for your target species for months and months and never find them, especially depending on how rare that shark might be. Um, But like I said before, we can find them pretty readily year round um, in San Francisco Bay. And I was looking for the adults and the adults actually only visit seasonally. So Those sexually mature adults come in during the summer months typically and that's where I was looking for them. We were fishing in June and they should have been there by then and we just weren't finding them. And when I finally got an adult seven gill on deck that was for this data collection purposes, I mean truly nothing else mattered. We only got one that day, but one is all it takes. Literally (laughs) one is all it takes to get started And I still remember everyone that was on the research vessel with me that day. I remember how excited we all were getting those first samples and trying it out for the first time. Um, There's truly nothing else like it. Um, Seeing them up close, getting the samples that you need. Um, Yeah, it's like tunnel vision. Like you're just so excited about this one thing that everything else like disappears. There's nothing but like you, the people on the boat with you and the shark. (laughs) Yeah, and I'll, I'll never forget that memory of just like that was the first animal in this study. I'll never forget it. Uh, so it's, it's truly like euphoric getting to see these animals up close and then getting to take the samples that you're hoping to take. And it's funny because my project has evolved quite a bit since then. And if you ever look at graduate school or think about it, or even if you ever want to think about becoming a scientist in some capacity, you'll know that when you start out to answer a question – the question often, the answer often evolves and changes and and so does your question. It starts to evolve and change as you start to find new information. So a lot of the things that I was asking at the very beginning of this project are not questions that I'm asking now. But some of the questions that I'm currently asking about seven gills are what do they eat? If you want to protect a species, that's like the most important thing you need to know is what what do they need to eat? Because if their food preference isn't there, then they're not going to survive. So maybe you need to be protecting their their food choice um, as a thing as a way to protect them. 
Now, we have information, there is literature, of what the adults eat from about the 80s and 90s. Um, but we haven't really done any sort of diet preference for seven-gill sharks since the 80s and 90s. And a lot has changed since then, especially in San Francisco Bay. If you've ever been there, you know, I mean, just how highly trafficked it is with a lot of boat traffic, a lot of um, people on the water constantly, which isn't necessarily a bad thing, but a lot has changed in the last 30, 40 years since they have last been evaluated. And we have never really looked at what those babies are eating. Now, if you don't already know, a baby shark is called a pup, which I absolutely love. And for seven gills specifically, they, I think I already said, they look like Dalmatian puppies. So calling them a pup is just like so appropriate because they just are this little Dalmatian pup. And I'm trying to figure out what they eat. So I'll be looking at what each size class eats and see if that shifts based on time of year or over time. Um, I'm also looking at how fishing affects them. You can actually readily fish seven gill sharks in San Francisco Bay and in many places. And, you know, one thing that we hope to talk is a lot of what shark conservation actually means. I think Amani and I will talk a lot about that on this podcast. And shark fishing isn't necessarily a bad thing. Uh, some of you might be very surprised to hear me say that, but, you know, sharks are just like any other fish. They are something that many people eat, especially culturally. Some cultures will absolutely eat different kinds of meats that maybe you might not readily eat. But people in San Francisco eat seven gills. It's a pretty normal thing here. And so we're not going to say you can't fish seven gill sharks, but I need to look and see how well they can survive being sports fished, which means if you go sports fishing, you're typically not um, killing that animal to eat them. You're just fishing them for the sport and then you release them and put them back. And one of the things I want to look at is if they can survive that pretty easily. Can they survive being fished and then put back um, over and over again? Or is that causing so much stress that they might actually not be able to survive that? So that's definitely something I want to look at so that I can support our local fishers here and and understand if we're doing the right thing or not for them. Yeah, and one of the things that I don't think people realize is on top of different um, cultures eating shark, we actually use shark in a lot of common products. And I don't think that people realize exactly how large um, the sh like shark fisheries are and what products we probably have in our house that has shark liver oil, um, anything basically from sharks in it. And so we have a tendency to like place all of this stuff on different cultures for eating them when you have to realize yourself that you're probably also using sharks in products in your home. And so you can't put all of the blame on people who fish, on people who eat sharks, on people who are making a living. You can't just place all of the blame for sharks dying on them. You have to be accountable yourself and also educate yourself on what sharks are actually being used for. Yeah. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And that's some of the things that we're going to be figuring out. I mean, I'm figuring it out as part of my PhD dissertation, but we're also going to have shark scientists on here that understand and, and do shark conservation as a living. And we'll talk about some of the misconceptions about what is really threatening sharks and what we can do as listeners, all of my sharkies out there listening to this right now, 
we're going to try to figure out and provide for you what you can do to help conserve sharks and make sure that they are here for the long haul. Now, if you're already sitting here questioning, well, of course, sharks are fine. Like, why are we worried about them? They are declining. Many species in many parts of the world are declining at rates that they can't recover from, meaning it is likely that we'll see many species going extinct here pretty soon. And a lot of the shark researchers we're going to have on are studying species that are critically endangered, meaning they're critically it is very likely that they will go endangered within our lifetime. And that's something that we definitely need to be on top of. Those are not species that we can sustainably fish for any reason. And those are species that we've got to figure out and learn more about to keep them here. We need sharks. We absolutely need sharks. Is that right, Imani? Yes, we need them. And we, the only way to protect them is to fully understand what protecting means and not just think, oh, if I don't use straws, I'm saving the turtles. Um, you have to come at it from all of these different angles because conservation, not just shark conservation, but any conservation is multifaceted. There are so many different things going into actually conserving something. And so I'm super excited to talk to different people on our podcast about what shark conservation actually looks like and what their research does to contribute to our understanding of how to conserve these species. Right. Yeah, so we're going to be looking at what, you know, like I said before, not all species are critically endangered. So we're going to look at, you know, what species can you fish? What species can potentially be sustainably harvested where others need to be absolutely off limits so that they have an opportunity to come back? And if you're surprised to hear that we need sharks, I definitely hope we can change that over time. We absolutely need sharks in the water. We're going to break down so many myths that people hear or fears that people have about getting in the water. I'm going to tell you right now, if you've stepped foot in an ocean, you have been very close to a shark. Sharks are there. They're off of our coastlines everywhere. And the likelihood of you interacting with one in a negative context is so unlikely so unlikely you're literally more likely to be killed by a vending machine getting a snack than you are interacting with a shark vending machine coconut falling from a tree car accident a dog like the most obscure things are more likely to kill you than a shark and if you never go in the ocean your risk of having a negative interaction with a shark is zero yeah it's really true it's really true but we do need them because those sharks are playing a very critical role in the ecosystem of the ocean. And so they keep lots of things in check. And when sharks aren't there anymore, you get complete out of whack things happening with the environment. Um, So we won't open up that entire can of worms, I don't think, today, because it is a huge can of worms. And I think it's going to be something that we just keep revisiting over and over again with different species, different locations in the world, with different experts in the field on with us to talk and break this down a little bit more so yeah sharky friends i really hope that you are as excited as we are to break down all things sharks and their relatives and learn from the experts in the field that have been doing this longer than us and i hope that you're as excited to learn as we learn um, through the literature and as we talk to other people in the field yes i am so psyched about this podcast and I'm so psyched to have all the amazing people that we're going to have on and learn more about the shark field than even I know, which I would say is at least somewhat extensive because it's the field that I want to go into, but there's constantly 
new papers and new parts of this field that I did not even know existed and that have crazy facts and amazing field stories and sharks are just so cool I just I'm excited to have a podcast centered around discovering things about sharks me too we're gonna discover it together now if you guys want to follow us we are making a twitter for sharkpedia so you can find us at the sharkpedia podcast on twitter you're absolutely welcome to follow us there ask us questions on there and we'll answer them on the podcast you can also follow me and amani on twitter we're both pretty active on there um i'm at meg holst m-e-g-h-o-l-s-t you're gonna see a lot of things on there a lot about sharks especially as i get more into the field season But you're definitely going to see some other things other than sharks. Uh, Like I said, I work at an aquarium where I actually research many different species. I did my master's thesis on octopus behavior and physiology. So I often post about octopuses. And I also research some very weird fish called Pacific spiny lump suckers. If you don't know what a lump sucker is, they're about as awkward as they sound. And they're also very adorable. And I'm doing some reproductive biology research on them right now that hopefully I'll be able to publish later. So yes, I'm going to be researching sharks. And this podcast is all about sharks. If you follow me on Twitter, you'll see a lot about sharks. You're also going to see some other things as well. Yes. And then if you want to follow me on Twitter, my Twitter handle is at curly underscore biologist. And you will see a whole lot of different content. Most of it has to do with sharks. Um, one of the things that I'm super interested in is shark skin, dermal denticles, as we mentioned earlier in this episode, and that's what I'm hoping to research for my PhD. And so you will probably see a lot of things about shark skin, also just the field in general. And also, I draw pants on animals for fun. Yeah, you do. I call it hashtag how it pants. Um, and you can see all the drawings I've done so far under that hashtag. And basically what I do is come up with a creature. For example, could be a seven gill shark. I'll draw two versions of it in two different ways that it would wear pants. And then I ask my Twitter followers what they think. How would a shark wear pants? And I have to tell you, sometimes the debate gets really heated in the comments <laughs> and it is fantastic. And also random people will tag me in things on Twitter and be like, how would this wear pants? Yeah. And I'm just like, this is, I specialize in pantology. That is what it says in my bio. It says prospective graduate student. I specialize in pantology through hashtag how it pants. Yes. And that is also what you will see on my Twitter. So I highly recommend um, following me if you would like to see that. And I highly recommend following Megan if you want to see adorable seven gill sharks and also lump suckers because they are also really cute (laughs) yeah they are have you I'm now going to request how it pants for both seven gills and lump suckers you're gonna have to do it I can do it great (laughs) I'll give it some like Dalmatian pants since it's already polka dot oh my gosh or like a Cruella DeVille jacket (gasps) this is genius (laughs) this is genius okay so obviously you're gonna have to do that now (laughs) yeah yeah I'm gonna add you if you don't (laughs) all right i guess be on the lookout for eventually a drawing of a seven gill in pants or a fancy jacket absolutely (laughs) well yeah stay tuned everyone we are going to come out with some really cool episodes in the next few weeks hopefully with some very cool shark people that are going to be here on with us and until then we've been your hosts megan and imani and we'll catch you sharkies next week see ya